Good morning, everybody. Are we awake? Maybe. <laughs> um, as you can see, we've already transitioned. It's Christmas. Merry Christmas, everybody. Um, we are those people who we put up our Christmas tree literally the next day after Thanksgiving. Some of you are like, man, I've had my Christmas tree up already for weeks. God bless you. That's not how it works, but... <laughs> Here we are. It is the Christmas season. It is the Advent season where we get to celebrate the Advent or the arrival of Jesus. Um, I love Christmas time. Um, it's a very special time in our family. We just always, you know, it's just wild and crazy. How many of you have big families where it's like the holidays, we all get together and, you know, everyone goes to grandma and grandpa's house. And um, growing up, there were a few Christmases, though, where... Um, I grew up in Washington, and so it was always a really exciting Christmas for us when we got to come visit my aunt and uncle in Orange County. Like, ooh, we're doing Christmas in California. There's palm trees, and it's not cold and snowy. Um, so we would come down and visit. And there was one Christmas where I was in probably like early elementary school. I don't remember the grade, but I was really into um, American Girl dolls. I don't know how many of you, I mean, a lot of you in here have kids. If you're familiar with those, they're just these really cool um, dolls. And I really, really wanted one. So we're sitting there in my aunt and uncle's house and we're opening presents. Mind you, um, I have two brothers and all boy cousins, okay? So I am the only girl little girl in this room, and we're nearing the end of opening presents, and the dads leave the room, and you're like, ooh, they're going to bring something really exciting in, really cool. So the dads come in, my uncle and my dad come in, and they have these really big boxes. Now, they're not, like, very wide. Um, they're really tall and kind of skinny, and nothing about this box would tell me that there's a doll in it, especially because it's the same box. Like, my present looks exactly the same as all the boys' boxes, and there's no way they're getting dolls. So I'm looking at this, but I still have hope, right? I'm looking at this thing going, you could fit, like, two or three American Girl dolls in this box. <laughs> like, I have hope that those dolls are in here. And so they bring out the boxes, but to my disappointment, I open the box along with my brothers, and I'm watching them open it, and they are getting so excited. And I'm like, ooh, what's going to be in mine? Opening the box, and I look inside, and it's golf clubs. I know. Some of you dads in the room are like, right on. Like, <laughs> that's awesome. They got us all, like, kid-size golf clubs for Christmas. And I'm like, wow, thanks. <laughs> you know, this is awesome. So any dads in the room, it's a great way for you to, you know, spend time with your kids, get out there on the golf course. Because of course, later that afternoon, we had to go to the driving range and put our Christmas present to use, right? So they win, the boys won. It was fun, but I was really hoping, right, for a certain outcome. Now, nothing about the reality of my situation would tell me that what I was hoping for was actually going to happen. Um, but we often use, this word hope, right? We use it very nonchalantly, right? We might define it as like a feeling of expectation um, and desire for a certain thing to happen. We want something to be the case, 
like I hoped that there was a doll in that box. Um, maybe sometimes we use the word like, oh, I hope, you know, this kid doesn't forget to show up for practice today because then we can't practice as a whole team. Or I hope my husband doesn't forget what I asked him to get at the grocery store, even though I made him a list. <laughs> or maybe um, we show up late to church and, ooh, I hope we don't have to sit in the front row. Ooh, how terrible would that be? <laughs> or you're learning to drive and you're like, oh, hope mom and dad don't notice the scratch I put on the car, right? We use the word hope just very casually. Um, and we often use hope uh, almost like a wish, like we're hoping for things that are not guaranteed. But the beautiful thing as believers is that when we read scripture, when we read about hope in God's word, and we talk about Jesus as our hope or having hope, it's hope in a sure thing. It's not wishful thinking. It's hope in fact. It's hope in truth. It's hope in a very certain thing that will happen. And so if we have surrendered our life to follow Jesus, this is what our hope looks like. We have hope in God. Hope in God. And it's rooted in the character of who God is and in his heart and in his words. We have hope on God. That's the second way we see hope in scripture, that our lives are built from a foundation of hope. God is the solid ground on which hope builds from and on which hope rests. And then the third way we see hope in scripture is this, is that Jesus as our hope. Jesus is not simply, he's not simply the ground from which hope builds, but when God sends us Jesus himself in human flesh, that Jesus is actually the very sphere, the very element, the very essence, the person in which hope dwells. He is the fulfillment of all God's promises through his birth and through his life, through his ministry, through his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. So our hope looks different than wishful thinking, right? If we've said yes to Jesus, our hope is actually a confident expectation, and it's a firm assurance. In hope and through hope and by hope, we are saved. We experience salvation. And the beautiful thing about hope and the beautiful thing about salvation is that it never looks backwards, right? When we say yes to Jesus, it's all forward thinking. We celebrate that in the waters of baptism, that we've gone, that our old life has died and that we've risen to life, to new life, that we're moving forward with Jesus. That is our hope. So today we're going back to the very beginning. We're celebrating the arrival of Jesus, but before he got here, there's a story in the Old Testament. If you would like to open your Bible, we will be in Genesis. I told you, we're going way back. <laughs> we're going to Genesis. Now, we'll kind of be hopping all over the place, so you're welcome to follow along with me on the screen. But just really quickly to provide some context to where we're hopping into Scripture this morning, this is right after, this is following um, the story of Noah's Ark, which I'm sure many of us are familiar with, uh, where the earth floods. And after this, God is looking for someone to establish his covenant with, to make a promise with. And he's looking for a person of faith. And the person he seeks after um, is a man named Abram. Abram was a man of faith. Now, you might... I'm not mispronouncing that. His name is Abram. You might know him later as Abraham. Um, but first, where we meet him in this story, his name is Abram. So starting in Genesis 12, at verse 2, 
This is where God is making his promise with Abram, and he says this. He says, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Side note about where we're picking up in the story. At this point, when God is speaking this to Abram, Abram is 75 years old, okay, 75, and then his wife, Sarai, she is not too much younger than that, so they're both in their old age, and they've never been able to conceive a child. It even Scripture even tells us that before God spoke this promise to them, it's recorded that Sarai has never been able to um, conceive, and so also, just as a note, I feel like that's important for some of us in this room today, that they're old. <laughs> He's 75, and I really believe that there's no age limit to when God speaks to us, amen? That God can speak new things, new promises to us when we're 75 or when we're 25, right? That God, if he needs to accomplish something, if he has something for you, he's going to speak it over you, and it doesn't matter where we're at in life, which is encouraging. So jumping back in at Genesis 15, so we're skipping down a little bit, still the same story. So they haven't been able to conceive a child yet. And at this point, Abram's getting older. He doesn't have a child, and he says this to the Lord, starting at verse 3 in chapter 15. He says, God, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. So he's thinking, I have no children of my own, so I'm just going to have to like choose somebody who works for me, basically, to be the bloodline, to be my family, to pass the torch to. But then the word of the Lord came to him and said, this man, this servant in your household, will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. God took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can even count them. Then he said to Abram, so shall your offspring be. And Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. So at this point, Abram is almost 100 years old. He's about 99 years old when we read this. So there's been a bit of waiting, right? So God speaks something to Abram at 75, and then nothing happens. That's got to be discouraging. Nothing happens. And now he's 99 and he's like, God, you're not moving. Nothing is happening. Am I just going to have to have a, someone in my household, a servant in my household, be the person that carries on my line? And so at this point in the story, they're feeling discouraged. And Sarai comes to her husband and she says, okay, we're going to come up with a solution here. And she comes to Abram and she says, why don't you take my servant, Hagar, and why don't you have a child with her so that we can continue this bloodline? And now that might sound very strange to all of us in the room. <laughs> like, you know, if we're not able to conceive a child, they're not going to be like, hey, babe, why don't you just go, um, you know, find a gal. And we like, we want to be parents. So just go for it and let's have a kid. Um, but that was actually very common practice for the day. If um, if a woman could not conceive of a child, it was very normal in their cultural context for her to choose one of her servants to um, offer her as, um, you know, a, 
a way to bear a child to her husband. But the issue is, though it was culturally acceptable or accepted, that's not what God asked them to do, right? God said that he would give them a child of their own. So there wasn't really an issue culturally here that's happening, but the issue we see here is that Abram and Sarai are taking the situation into their own hands. They're basically saying, God, you said this, but I don't see you moving, so we're going to like try to make this happen on our own. And the unfortunate thing is, is during this time, Hagar does become pregnant with a son, and it actually causes dissension and division within Abram and Sarah's marriage, Sarai's marriage, and Hagar runs away. And I could preach a whole another sermon about how God still moves in that situation and how he sees Hagar in her brokenness and that he's a God who sees and brings restoration. But we hop back in at Genesis 17, verse 1. And this is after... Hagar has had a son, and God still speaks this to Abram. Even after they've tried to take the situation into their own hand, this is what God still says to him. He said, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and blamelessly. Then I will make my covenant between me and you, and you will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down, and, and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be called Abraham, for I have made you the father of many nations. And skipping down to 15, God also says to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you will no longer call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings and peoples will come from her. Then Abraham fell face down and he laughed. He said to himself, will a son be born to a man who is 100 years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And Abraham said to God, if only Ishmael, that was Hagar's son, might live under your blessing. But then God said this, yes, your wife will bear a son and you will call him Isaac and I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. Even though they tried to do it on their own, God says, nope, I'm still going to speak this promise over you. I still have this plan that I'm asking you to follow through with. I'm still calling you to this. But get this, after this interaction where God changes their names and he gives them a new identity in him to pursue, the waiting game isn't over. They wait 14 more years. Some of you are like, I can't even wait like a few minutes for something to load on my phone. (laughs) You know, they wait 14 more years, another 14 years pass. So now they're like old, old, right? (laughs) They are really old. But God's word stands true, and Sarah conceives, and she gives birth to a son whom they name Isaac, and he is a fulfillment of God's promise. And we're not going to read this part of the scripture, but I love Sarah's reaction to what God does to her actually bearing a child. She laughs. We see Abraham laugh, almost like mockingly, like, 
God, can you do it? And then we see Sarah, when she has Isaac, she laughs almost as like a man, only God, right? Like, haven't you ever had those crazy moments where you're like, whew, like, I don't know how that happened, but thank you, Jesus. And she has one of those moments. She says, who would have thought that I could ever do this, right? Because I'm so old, and she laughs. And sometimes that's, that's our natural response to the miracles that God works in our lives. We just have to laugh and say, God, you are good. But there are three things in this story that I think the Lord wants to encourage us with today. And the first one is this. When we're talking about hope, time is often the biggest opponent to our hope. Time. Time, the waiting game, time was the biggest test of Abraham and Sarah's hope and their faith. And the tricky thing is, is that in our waiting We can be like Abraham and Sarah, and we can try to make things happen on our own efforts. But often when we do that, when we try to make the promises of God happen with our own willpower or happen faster because they're not happening, right, in the timing that we want or what we expect, we often, we step out of alignment with God's leadership in our life. We step out of alignment from his instruction And we start doing our own thing. We get off course. But the thing is, is that even when we get off course, God doesn't waver. Even when we falter, God does not. His character and his words and his promises, they don't change because of our lack of hope. They don't change because we ask questions. They don't change because we feel discouraged or we don't see how it's playing out. Now, there may be very real repercussions to our decision decisions, right? Like with Abraham and Sarah, they took things into their own hand. They pursued Hagar, and that caused pain in their marriage. It caused division. It caused hurt, deep hurt and pain for Hagar that she had to now walk through. There are sometimes very real repercussions to our missteps or when we get out of alignment with what God asks of us, but that does not deter God's promises for our lives. And I also think it's imperative to note here that God, his promises, God's promise is not that our life is going to be easy, right? I think many of us in this room can attest to that. God doesn't promise us that when we surrender our lives to him, we say yes to following Jesus, that, whoo, it's all sunshine and rainbows, and we don't experience anything hard. Our children listen to us. We find the parking spot we want. We make all the money. You know, everything just goes really well. That's not a promise of God. So if you're feeling frustrated with God today because you're like, God, what in the world? I'm experiencing these hard things. That maybe isn't the promise. God's not promising us that it's going to be easy, but here's what he does promise us. God promises us that he will bless us. He promises us that he's always with us. He promises to bring life out of death. He promises to bring light to dark places. He promises to bring healing to brokenness. He promises that he's always working on our behalf. So when we do experience these things, right, scripture doesn't tell us that it's an if we experience hard things. It's when we do. So when we experience these gut-wrenching or unfair or relationally dividing or pain-inducing, when we experience these really hard realities of life, 
God's promise is that he's working on our behalf, that he's with us, he sits with us in those emotions, and that he will work it out for our good. That is his promise. So if we've surrendered our lives to the Lord in the midst of these challenges, even in the waiting, right, where we're waiting to see how God's going to move, how he's going to heal, how he's going to bring restoration, we are able to have hope. Because this is the second thing that I believe the Lord wants to encourage us with this morning is that what he promises, what God promises, he will perform. What he says will happen. God's promises, they never return void. We have an entire account of scripture that proves time and time again God's faithfulness. Even when, we see it all throughout scripture, even when humanity goes astray and they turn their backs on the Lord, God is faithful. He is faithful to his word. And one of the coolest, I think most miraculous things that our God does that no other religion, no other person in this world can do is that God, he always brings life from death. He is the only one who can bring life from death. It says this in Romans, this is how Paul describes this story with Abraham and Sarah. Romans 4, 18 through 21 says, against all hope, Abraham, in hope, believed, and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his face, in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. I didn't make that up. Paul literally wrote that. His body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. Abraham's body was as good as dead. Maybe some of you feel like that in this room. You're like, Lord, what can you do in and through me? Abraham's body is, was as good as dead, and Sarah's womb was also dead. But God. For God's promise to be fully realized here, there had to be a nature-defying miracle. Similarly, we are celebrating in this season a nature-defying miracle where a young woman, a virgin woman, conceived a child, the savior of the world. In both situations, in both stories, both Abraham and Sarah and Mary, both parties had to decide to believe in the word of God. They had to believe in the promise of God that he would create life out of nothingness, something that he has been in the business of doing literally from the beginning, right? We read in the creation story, there's nothing and God brings life. We serve a supernatural God who is not limited by the realities of this world. Amen? That should be encouraging to us this morning. So though Abraham was way past natural hope of having a child, he chose hope, again, to have a child, not based on his circumstances, but based on the power of God, upon the understanding that this miracle was God's will. And if God said it, he would do it. Now, there's a difference here when we're looking at our circumstances and going, how could God do this, right? There's a difference between optimism and hope. We're not called to just be positive thinkers, although that 
is not a bad thing. Um, but optimism is rooted in our circumstances and based upon our own willpower. That's what optimism is. But our hope, our hope is rooted in the promises of God, and it has nothing to do with our own strength. And it has everything to do with God's supernatural power at work in our life. That is our hope. So if Abraham's focus had been on the reality of his circumstances, the reality that his wife, her, she was unable to have children, and God is speaking to him like, yeah, you're going to have a child, but we're old. My wife hasn't ever been able to conceive. If he was looking at his situation, he probably would have begun to question God. Now, I want to say, I think that that's okay. What Paul tells us that, even in that feeling, that Paul tells us that Abraham was fully persuaded. He was fully confident, fully bought into the understanding that if God said it, he would do it. That God has the power to do what he says he will do. And the crazy thing is, is we just read this story. I've, every time I read about this, we read about Abraham in scripture. It says that he is, you know, it's credited to him as righteousness. He's seen as a man of faith. He's faithfully pursuing God, right? But we just read the story, and I kind of think that <laughs> there might have been a little bit of wavering, right? You know, like there was a little bit of questioning and going, God, you spoke this. Uh, it's been a really long time. Nothing's happened, so we're going to go try to make it happen on our own. I think that going out and finding another woman to have a child with is a little bit of wavering. But the interesting thing is, is that's never mentioned, right? It's, you know, he's always a man of faith. He's, it's credited to him as righteousness. And this should be encouraging to us as believers. This should be encouraging because Paul says that Abraham did not waver in his belief regarding the promise of God, that he fully believed that God is a man of his word, right? He believed in the heart of God. He believed that God is a man of his word, that what he promises he performs, but in his humanity, in his human heart, a little bit of doubt crept in. And this is why it should be encouraging to us is because we can fully believe and fully trust in God's power. We can trust in his heart that he has good things planned for us, and it's okay to have questions. It's okay to experience doubt or feel discouraged sometimes. It's okay that, you know, we might be praying for things and we're stuck in the waiting. It can feel really long and it can feel tiring and exhausting and we can still rest in the assurance of God's word. Those things can happen at the same time. That's why I feel so encouraged by this is that, you know, when we look back at Abraham's life, we don't look at the mistake. We don't. We look at how he trusted and he put his hope in God. We should feel encouraged because what this tells us is that we are not disqualified from receiving the blessing of God's promises even when we get off course a little bit. That we serve a God who loves us, who will always bring us back and say, no, let me remind you what I spoke to you. Let me remind you of the plans I have for you. Let me remind you that I changed your name and that that's your past and that I have a future for you. God did not waver in his promise to Abraham. He, he did what he said he would. He made him the father of many nations. His descendants multiplied. And from him and Sarah, peoples and came kings came 
including our one true king, Jesus. Which leads us to our final thing this morning. Our final encouragement is that Jesus is our hope fulfilled. Jesus is hope fulfilled. Now, I don't know about you, but when I'm reading in scripture, I have a hard time reading through like the genealogies that are recorded. Most times because the names are really difficult to pronounce, but you're kind of like, okay, I'm going to trust that that's all correct. And we're going to kind of skim over that and get to like the real meat of the scripture. Um, you know, but I think it's really actually important if you were to open up um, the gospel of Matthew. At the beginning of Matthew, Matthew outlines for us, he records the genealogy of Jesus. And we see in the genealogy of Jesus. Now, I'm not going to read it for you. You guys can all go look. It's in your Bible. Um, We see that God's promise is fulfilled. At the top of that list, we see Abraham and we see Isaac. And then you go generation after generation, years after years, the end where we see Jesus finally make his appearance on the scene. Now, Israel, God's people, they waited centuries. They waited years and years and years for Jesus. So when we talk about time being a discourager of hope, let's be real. Abraham, he saw God's promise be fulfilled in his life. God said, I will make you the father of nations. I will give you a son. Okay, so he got to see, he got to experience having a son and the start of the fulfillment of God's promise. But Abraham didn't live to see Jesus, but he trusted in God's word. And so the advent or the arrival of Jesus is truly the arrival of hope. It's the complete fulfillment of God's promise that he has made with his people. It's God's whole narrative fulfilled, right? Jesus shows up, and this was like God's whole plan that he set into motion. He, Emmanuel, God with us, God in the flesh. Jesus is the fulfillment of all of God's promises throughout all of time that he would restore us back into right standing and into relationship with him. Jesus as our hope, he turned hope into reality. He turned hope into a certain thing, into certainty, and it turned a promise into fact, immovable and unchangeable. Um, As we close today, Pastor John read to us or spoke to us this morning about Hebrews 6, and I want to read this for us as a final encouragement in this season of hope. And now I'm going to read from the Passion Translation. This is Hebrews 6, 18 through 19. It says this, It is impossible for God to lie, for we know that his promise and his vow will never change. And now we have run into his heart to hide ourselves in his faithfulness. This is where we find his strength and comfort, for he empowers us to seize what has already been established ahead of time, an unshakable hope. We have this certain hope like a strong, unbreakable anchor holding our souls to God himself. Our anchor of hope is fastened to the mercy seat in the heavenly realm beyond the sacred threshold. This unshakable hope, that's Jesus. Jesus is our unshakable hope. He is the unbreakable anchor that tethers our souls to God himself. Jesus, as our hope, he sits at the right hand of the Father in the heavenly realm as our advocate, as our high priest, as our forerunner. Jesus is our hope. 
And if we have surrendered our life to him and said yes to following him, our souls are anchored, are tethered to the heart of God. And we cannot stray from that. So I don't know what landed with you most in this story today or where you find yourself sitting in this room. Maybe for some of us right now, we know what God has spoken to us, maybe in our youth or maybe recently we know God's speaking things, new things, new promises to us, but we're waiting to see how that plays out. We're waiting on a move of God. Maybe like Abraham and Sarah or maybe like the people of Israel, God's people, we've been waiting a really long time and maybe we're starting to feel discouraged and there's the temptation to want to take things into our own hands. Maybe today God is whispering to you, trust me, come back to me, release the control, surrender those things to me. Maybe some of us have already taken those steps. Maybe some of us have felt frustrated that we haven't seen God moving in our lives and we've tried or we have taken things into our own hands and tried to make things happen on our own efforts and now we're dealing with very real repercussions. Maybe today we need to get back in alignment and step back in to keeping step with God's instruction and his leadership for our life and that's not to induce shame or guilt but it's simply saying God I need your help. God, I tried to do this on my own, and I'm sorry. God, would you take control? Would you do this for me? I'm going to surrender these things. I trust you. I trust your timing. Maybe that's true for some of us in this space. I know for me, I am a planner. I like to be in control. I like to know what the next step is. And I think for me in this Advent season, I'm one of those people who I'm like, okay, Lord, I'm really tempted to just try to make this happen on my own efforts. And so today, this is a call for me to say, no, Lord, I'm going to trust that you spoke this. I'm going to trust in your timing. I'm going to trust that you are at work in my life. So wherever you're at, would you pray with me this morning? God, we thank you that you have always been a God who has pursued us. God, we thank you that you did not stay distant and far off, but that you are a God who loves us and pursues us, and that you sent your son Jesus to bring us back into relationship with you and to give us hope. Lord, for wherever our stories are at, whatever point in our stories we're at in this room today, Lord, we just surrender our control to you. God, we say, have your way. Because it's tiring when we try to do it on our own. Lord, would you be our strength? God, would you be our hope? God, would you surround us with people who can encourage us and keep us in step with you. Lord, I pray for the hearts in this room who have grown weary, who are waiting on seeing your promises fulfilled. God, would you just give them strength? Would you give them a fresh outpouring of your hope, of your endurance, of your love this morning? God, I pray for the hearts in this room who feel 
discouraged because they haven't maybe heard from you. God, would you speak new things? God, we are so encouraged that our age and that our stories do not disqualify us from you doing a new thing in our life. So Lord, I speak new vision and new dreams in your mighty name, Jesus, that you would deposit new things in our hearts, Lord. Would you lead us? Encourage us. God, we choose to trust you. We love you, and we pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen. Amen.